The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary-client, or attorney-client relationship. Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about innovation in autism mental health care delivery using collaborative care via technology is Dr. Abalash Desai. Dr. Desai is a psychiatrist and an adjunct associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Washington School of Medicine. He is the co-author of two books, One Day Mindfulness Millionaire, Living Mindfully, a Light-Hearted Primer for the Uninitiated, written with his wife, Dr. Faith Guyano Desai, and Psychiatric Consultation in Long-Term Care, a Guide for Healthcare Professionals. His practice focuses on helping patients with intellectual disabilities, autism, treatment-resistant schizophrenia, and bipolar disorder, dementias, and long-term care. How are you doing today, Dr. Desai? Doing great, Jason. Just call me Abolash, please. Well, I, I, I know. I call you Abolash uh, in private, but uh, Dr. Desai, for purposes of our time together. Um, before we get started, Dr. Desai, I'm going to, um, any of our, those listening or watching live on our webinar today, if you have any questions, type your questions in, time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get your questions answered. So, Dr. Desai, I'm going to turn it over to you. Sounds good. Thank you. Uh, delighted and honored to be here. As Jason mentioned, this is the title of my talk, uh, Innovation in Autism Mental Health Care Delivery Using Collaborative Care Via Technology. And let me just explain the title itself. So it's important for us to realize that now we have come to a place where we know a lot about how to improve lives of individuals with autism. Uh, but the problem is that the knowledge is with a very small group of specialists, experts, uh, and most of the care is given by the primary care providers. So if the primary care providers do not have access to these specialists, then they are unable to really truly make a huge difference in lives of individuals with autism, especially regarding mental health. And now we know that using collaborative care, and again, if you see the research, it's really increasing very rapidly, and also the use of technology. If you combine these two, then we can make access to the specialists who know what to do, how to do these best, and really reach the entire population of individuals with autism. By the way, this concept of collaborative care via technology can also be used for other very specialized fields such as geriatrics, uh, chronic pain management, addictions, and so on. So what is collaborative care? There are five pillars to collaborative care. Number one is psychiatric care that is integrated in primary care. Basically, this means that the primary care providers, basically physicians, family physicians, internists, uh, nurse practitioners, family nurse practitioners, physician assistants, but also a lot of psychiatric nurse practitioners and physician assistants who are providing mental health they have access to psychiatrists and 
other psychiatric consultants who have the expertise in that particular area. And for today, the area would be autism. So I have primary care providers who just text me because they have access to me because I am integrated into their care practices. They text me a question, should I increase the medicine's dose or should I change it to another dose? Based on the information I have, I recommend this and that is implemented. And the total time might be just a few seconds. But again, this is the beauty of collaborative care. The next pillar is focus on population health. So now it's important for us to not just focus on few patients that come to a few healthcare providers and get high quality care. We want to focus on the entire population of each primary care provider. So say a primary care provider covers say 1000 people in the community. We want to uh, focus on the whole population. Not only that, but we go from that to the whole population of the entire state. So I'm in Idaho, and so my focus would be to really focus on the health of the entire population of individuals with autism regarding their mental health, not just a few people in Boise where I live. The third pillar is outcome tracking. And again, to me, the most important outcome at this point is reducing the number of visits to emergency department because it is very traumatic to the person with autism. Also, the cost to our government and our organizations is tremendous for each emergency department visit. And next is reducing hospitalization for, say, behavioral emergencies. Again, a lot of these things are happening is because we do not have high quality mental health care in the outpatient setting. And remember what I said, we now know what to do to prevent visits to the emergency department, prevent hospitalization, but we need to improve how we deliver, how we make this accessible to the entire population in primary care. So those would be the two outcomes I would track, but there could be many other outcomes. Another thing I can think of is the number of psychiatric medicines. We use too much, and again, we are using, we are causing harm from the psychiatric medication side effects, and also we are wasting a lot of money from Medicaid, Medicare, traditional uh, uh, insurances. So again, we can reduce costs and improve quality of life. You can't get better than that. The fourth is relationship building to establish trust. So it takes time for the primary care providers, especially if they don't know me. <clears throat> In Boise, I know a lot of primary care providers and we have already established trust. So it's easy when I say something, let's do this instead of that. They, they accept my uh, recommendation, they trust me, uh, and they implement it even if they themselves are not sure or would not have done it on their own. But I have started working with a lot of new primary care providers. Uh, I have a physician assistant who works uh, three and a half hours away from me, but now over time, over one year, we have established such a good trust that we really work very well. And, and it takes time, but I think that's a core component of collaborative care. Mm -hmm. The last, uh, but again, not the least, very important component pillar is robust education components. So each time I suggest something, I also say right in my text the reasoning. 
for example, that you're worried about this medicine causing weight gain, but that's very unlikely. The weight gain might be because of some other factors, such as they are, they are eating a lot of things to manage their stress. And that's the bigger focus than this medication. Mm -hmm. uh, and then obviously I give a bigger education component when we have team meetings and, and I go over some of the key uh, information. For example, what can one expect from psychiatric medicines? In what conditions can you expect something good from psychiatric medicines? And in which conditions, which would account for, I would say, 80% plus, it's best not to have psychiatric medicines as the primary intervention, but as the secondary intervention. The primary intervention is more of behavioral interventions, psychological, social, spiritual strategies to meet their needs. So again, such education is a core component of collaborative care. Again. Uh, can I do this without technology? I can, but the reach will be very, very small. With technology, now you can scale up like crazy. I now have access to electronic health records on my computer so that if somebody refers a complex case, I tell them, hey, let me review the records. Let me get input from a lot of the staff, and then let me get back to you. Sometimes I take up to one hour just to review the records because the complexity is so high. Mm -hmm. But again, with technology, I can do it as soon as I get the referral, which is just remarkable. Again, we are using more of assessments via audio and video platforms. And that really is important in autism because a lot of individuals with autism really do not want to go to the offices of primary care. It's really stressful for them to have a change in the environment, change in the routine. And also I believe that the assessment of the person in their house sometimes gives you even better data than in the office. Obviously, you know, there's always a trade-off. If you need to do a, a detailed physical exam, the person needs to be in the office. But again, maybe, one or two times one can ha have in-person visit and then most of the other times you can really do a very high quality audio video visit and uh, come to an excellent uh, assessment understanding and that can be reflected on your comprehensive holistic treatment plan the third component of technology is the echo program i'll mention that in a minute next slide and then the last is behavior imaging app so again, we have technology now where you can record the person's behaviors, especially if the person is minimally verbal and are expressing their distress via their behaviors. For example, they're hitting themselves in the head. Now, if, if we do such behavior imaging app, and this behavior imaging is a superb, innovative uh, uh, app that was created by my brilliant friend, Ron Oberleitner, and so what, what happens is that the family members or professional caregivers would video record the behavior and then through the phone or through uh, the iPad or uh, uh, other such devices, record it and then send it to me in the email and I'll be able to review it. And again, sometimes the, the pictures 
give you way more information than the verbal descriptions from the caregivers or the family members. And this is a huge advantage, especially in the world of autism, to be able to review the video, not only by myself, but then I can review it with the team. I can even use it for educational purposes. Let me talk a little bit about Project ECHO. So ECHO stands for Extension for Community Healthcare Outcomes. This was launched by Dr. Sanjeev Arora in New Mexico, state of New Mexico. But now it's all over our country and it is really revolutionizing not only the education given to primary care providers, especially those who are living in rural places and do not have access to specialty care and, and experts who can give advice, uh, but also we are directly improving not only knowledge, but actually the quality of care given. In our own state, uh, University of Idaho runs the Project ECHO and we have opioid crisis, now we have long-term care, nursing home, COVID, ECHO, then we have behavioral health. If you go to their website, you'll be able to see two presentations done by me on autism spectrum disorder and overview. It's a 90-minute presentation, so but it's full of information. Check it out. And again, pharmacologic treatment of insomnia, another presentation that gives you a lot of information about non-pharmacological and pharmacological interventions for insomnia and a lot of problems in individuals with autism is because they are not sleeping well and if you take care of that you can not only improve the daytime quality of life but also reduce a lot of the psychiatric medicines that you would be giving unnecessarily let me talk a little bit more about the educational component so the sad reality is that uh, we are doing a lot of irrational polypharmacy, not only in individuals with autism, but also in a lot of older adults, a lot of uh, people in long-term care, a lot of people uh, with chronic mental illness like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. And so the intervention, the antidote is rational de-prescribing. Uh, so that means chop, chop, chop. We start cutting down the medicines and we will improve the person's quality of life by reducing the medicines. And the reason is because I see that day in and out where there are two medicines given, and then they both have exactly the opposite effect. And they're given for two different reasons, but the problem is that they're blocking each other's effect. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, I work very closely with our pharmacists. So it's again, very important in the world of autism that we collaborate with pharmacists. And again, collaborative care with biotechnology, we can include pharmacists from their own offices or home to guide us in this complex care. So that's, uh, that's the first component of education. The next is unrecognized medical conditions. I cannot tell you enough of how often the person with autism gets medication, psychiatric medicines, because the belief is that the agitation, the aggressive behaviors, the behaviors where they are injuring themselves, the behaviors where they are attacking the staff, their anxiety, their tears, their inability to sleep is not recognized as due to a medical condition and then we give psychiatric medicine. So if I work collaboratively with primary care team and then we also have other team members, 
say board certified behavior analysts, then we give much richer information to the primary care that, hey, this looks like this might be a headaches causing the person to hit their head. But this might be headaches because of which they have, uh, this might be an infection somewhere because of which the person might be getting aggressive. Let's try and investigate. And although it is hard sometimes to identify medical conditions with diligence, with team effort, you can accurately diagnose underlying medical conditions, treat them, and then not only improve the person's quality of life, but also you'll be able to reduce all unnecessary psychiatric medicines. So this is a huge benefit of collaborative psychiatric care via technology. The third is unmet psychological, spiritual, social needs. And this is where, again, I work very closely with board certified behavior analysts. We have those, then we have social workers and psychologists who are trained in intellectual disability and autism. Then we have staff and family members and we all talk together about what is the person trying to say? Are they feeling extremely anxious because the schedule is not as predictable as they would like to be? Do we need to change incentives because we are inadvertently reinforcing negative behaviors? How can we stop it? How can we improve positive behaviors? All this falls into the behavior interventions. And again, by team assessment using technology, working collaboratively, we can not only identify specific unmet needs, but create a comprehensive program that addresses it. And again, I have seen myself the magic that behavior analysts do, and I've been able to use very little medication or even stop psychiatric medicines eventually because behavior interventions supporting the family members and the staff and stress management of family members and the staff is doing all the good work. And that leads me to the last component of education, caregiver burnout. With this pandemic, there is no question we are all burnt out. But the burnout of family members of individuals with autism and the professional caregivers who day in and out take care of it over there is really at a whole different level. And I believe, and I think there is some research to support mindfulness-based interventions teaching them relaxation exercises, uh, meditation, can greatly improve the caregiver well-being and that will improve the well-being of the person with autism. STEP stands for support system, training, education, praise, and support. So support system means basically family members. You, so I'm involved with the team in training parents about how to interact with their child with autism. Then I not only provide them with education, but also praise when they do take the difficult uh, challenges and manage them well. And again, support where we tell them that, yes, this is hard. Yes, it's taking time. Yes, we are going through a rough patch, but, but let's keep going on. There are a couple of other poisons that I need to mention specifically for autism, one is poorly managed nutritional problems. Again, gastrointestinal and nutritional problems are very, very common in individuals with autism. They have macronutrient deficiencies and micronutrient deficiencies. And again, we need a dietitian to be involved as a routine part of our treatment team so that we can improve lives of individuals with autism. I'm telling you, vitamin deficiencies, 
Other nutrient deficiencies can cause depression, anxiety, insomnia, aggressive behaviors, self-injury behaviors. And when we address that, we won't, won't need psychiatric medicines. The last is dignity erasing care. And what we need to do is dignity enhancing care. Again, we've made progress in the last 10 years. We are involving individuals with autism who have a say, who want to have a say, who have strong opinion. We want to listen to it. Recently in Idaho, we had one of the most unique conferences, Autism Unconference, where we were able to have individuals with autism share their views about their own journey, what they would want healthcare to do, what would they want healthcare professionals to do, how they want us to understand. Beautiful, very brilliant, and stories of resilience. We need to have such information and learning from individuals with autism who can teach us, and that way we can do dignity enhancing care. Please check out uh, Autism Unconference in Idaho, and you will see a lot of good information. We just did it like a month ago. What about uh, text and phone call, very commonly used by me? Also, now I am able to be present with the primary care physician when the primary care physician is visiting with the person with autism and say their family members. So the family members say that this medicine is helping, but these are the ways we want to use the medicine. The primary care physician is not sure, but I'm present there and I can guide the primary care physician or the parents or the person with autism. I have a lot of individuals with autism who have a very strong say in what medicines they want, what they don't want, what the side effects are, and I'm able to be present via video right there. You can't get better than that. Again, we really need interdisciplinary team. This is so complex trying to help individuals with autism that we need team members, we need family members, we need obviously the patient, we need professional caregivers, we need social workers, psychologists, we need board certified behavior analysts. I I prefer that board certified behavior analysts are the team leaders. Then also you need psychiatric consultants. Doesn't have to be psychiatrists. It could be psychiatric nurse practitioner mm -hmm. or physician assistants who are really trained and doing a lot of the autism work. And last but not the least, pharmacists and dietitians. And there could be other uh, experts also, pediatricians, neurologists. Uh, again, I myself can do audio video assessment of the client separate from the other team members just because it's easy to schedule and then I can bring my perspectives to the team. And again, let me mention behavior imaging app. Many a times we see the video as a team, then each of us gives our interpretation of what we saw. And this is also an opportunity for me to teach the other team members why I feel that this might be a medical condition rather than a psychiatric uh, disorder. One of the best uses of collaborative psychiatric care via technology is prevention of behavioral emergencies. So we can actually now reach a level where we prevent very serious self-injury behaviors, very serious aggression to the family members and the staff where they are seriously hurt. We can do this safely Again, with behavioral interventions, with de-escalation that is collaborative, and with very judicious use of the right psychiatric medicines at the right time. And we can prevent them 
from even visiting the emergency department or needing hospitalization. Again, uh, we can also work with, by the way, police officers. Now in certain states, police officers have sensory kits. Can you imagine the level of education, training, and help that police officers can provide? Just recently, I had a police officer who was so compassionate, so patient, and the person with autism was so upset that they were hitting the police officers with a stick, and the police officer got hurt, uh, hurt, and he had to also go to the emergency room and get some treatment. But again, these are the remarkable police officers who can help us really help uh, individuals with autism better. How do we get the buy-in? Again, we need to share success stories like I'm doing now. We need to leverage power. Experts need to tell organizations that, listen, I will get involved, but we need the whole team. We need to do it correctly, otherwise I'm not being involved. Again, we need to appeal to the conscience. I think a lot of people want to do the right thing, but sometimes they need reminders. So we need to say, hey, this is the right thing to do. And again, by appealing to the desire for the leadership to control costs. As I said, if you reduce visits to the emergency department and hospitalization, if you reduce the amount of psychiatric medicines, the cost control would be tremendous. These are some of the resources that I would urge you so when I talk about collaborative care, you know, University of Washington School of Medicine is where collaborative care, I believe, took birth. We used to do it in the past, but it wasn't in a very systematic manner. We weren't even aware of all the uh, complexities. And, and the research from University of Washington School of Medicine in collaborative care has taken this to the level where now Collaborative care is becoming really mainstream, or it should become mainstream. It's, it's starting to, but, but I think it needs to really be scaled up. And again, uh, Jason uh, Couture and Knowledgeable Aging are providing this platform where we can inform how great this concept of collaborative care via technology is and really scale it up so that all individuals, not only our country, but everywhere in the world can benefit. Again, through technology, I can be available to any country in any town. All we need is access to uh, internet. American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry also has great information on collaborative care. Uh, Canada also does a lot of collaborative care via technology. They have so many rural spots, and again, their healthcare funding is much more towards bolstering primary care. Whereas, unfortunately, in US, we still favor specialty care and we don't focus as much as we should on primary care. And primary care providers need the access and the support and the guidance and the education from specialists like psychiatrists who specialize in autism. Uh, my wife, as Jason mentioned, uh, Faith uh, and myself have written this book, One Day Mindfulness Millionaire, Living Mindfully, a Primer for the Uninitiated. It's, it's available, it's, the electronic version is just 99 cents. And uh, again, I would urge you, and you don't have to buy this book, there are a lot of other great books, but I'd really urge you to make mindfulness, meditation, relaxation exercises, spiritual interventions, such interventions really a normal part. And this is even more important in the world of autism because 
life is really, really stressful on an everyday basis. And with this pandemic, the stress, the grief, the trauma of our patients, our fellows, human beings with autism and intellectual disability and their parents, their siblings, their friends, their grandparents, uncles, aunts, the, the, the huge professional staff taking care of them, all their stress has gone to a whole different level. And we need to devote a lot of time providing uh, interventions that reduce their stress. So uh, to conclude, really it's our ethical obligation to care for the mental health of our brethren living with autism spectrum disorders. You won't believe, but the prevalence of autism spectrum disorder is even higher than schizophrenia. And I believe higher than probably schizophrenia and bipolar disorder type one. And psychiatrists at this point get incredible high quality training in schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. But unfortunately, most of the psychiatric programs do not provide adequate training in management and helping individuals with autism. And then what happens is many of the psychiatrists, psychiatric nurse practitioners, psychiatric physician assistants go into private practice. And now they start getting patients with autism having these complex disorders. They have never been trained. So they don't even know that you need a whole team. You can't just manage them on your own. You need expertise. You need to know what you're doing. You need to know how risky psychiatric medicines could be if you're not using them correctly, how to monitor uh, side effects, how to monitor response to treatment. So again, it's our ethical obligation to really improve the, uh, the psychiatric education from medical school to residency and then even after that and again through the programs such as ECHO program through collaborative psychiatric care uh, options we can really improve that but again the reality is that this is not going to happen if government organizations both federal and state government if the hospital system, because they are draining a lot of the resources caring for them, the hospital system, as well as health insurance systems, because they are again draining a lot of the money, if they do not fund the infrastructure and the delivery of collaborative care via technology. And again, uh, organizations such as Knowledgeable Aging, when they provide such kind of education, all the organizations I mentioned need to also fund them so that this level of uh, knowledge and innovation that we are already doing, these are hidden secrets that we need to share, can really become a routine. Somebody asked, how long did it take for you in Idaho to establish that relationship with a lot of those primary care providers that you now have that relationship with? Jason, it's an excellent question. So. So there are some primary care physicians and some nurse practitioners who, who have some difficulty because this is a very new model. Mm -hmm. And all our training is that I know everything, I know what I'm doing, I don't need any help. But I really, my experience has been, Jason, that it's a very small group. 
in the majority are really glad that I'm there and their stress comes down. And there are a few who are even open to learning in such a way that within six months, they already say, you know, Dr. Desai, I know what you're going to say, but let me just ask you anyway. <laughs> so basically, I've improved their own knowledge in best practices. Yeah, so, so there is some variability, but I think most of the time it's I'm welcome. But it yeah. takes time in some cases. As I said, in one case, it took a year. Yeah. But in many cases, within a month, two, three visits. So I hope this has been useful. Namaste. Thank you. If any of you have any questions or uh, uh, need me to send these slides, I'll be happy to. Please send an email to Idaho Memory Center at iCloud.com. Um, as far as Knowledgeable Aging, you can find all of our upcoming and archive webinars on our website, knowledgeableaging.com. You can also go to YouTube, type in Knowledgeable Aging. We encourage you to subscribe. We update that four to five times per week. Um, if podcasts are your thing, you can find us on Apple Tunes, Spotify, et cetera. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.